Hi, I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. And I'm Vanessa Cassani. And we are The Meta Report. So what we try to do is to bring to you, our listener, a modern take on the tribal method of communication where women would go out into the meadow and find their resources and bring it back to the tribe. And they always had a little story to share with whatever it is that they brought back. Go here, or they shared the information, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's what we want to do is we want to bring to you, our listener, the cool things that we run into in our lives and share it with you. Yes, and we have a variety of guests that come to the podcast. Every week we have a guest. So recently we've interviewed um, Georgie Holbrook. She's a healer. And Ana Rojas Bastidas, who just opened up a swimsuit line. We just finished a recording with Victoria Garcia. She's a, a photographer. That's what the Metal Report is. So listen to us. Yeah, and like and share and subscribe. This is the Metal Report, and I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. And I'm Vanessa Cassani. And today we have a special guest that neither um, Vanessa or I have ever met before. Mm-hmm. First time. <laughs> We've had a couple of those, though. Yeah, like we Anna. Have. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is Allison Topperwine, and I um, met Allison through um, a story that Lindsay Payton wrote in the Chronicle. It appeared in Renew. And I was so fascinated with your story, you mm-hmm. being able to. Um, you were diagnosed with Parkinson's and then ran a marathon or, you know, whatever. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of other things, but that was basically the story that Lindsay focused on. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's just fascinating it how is. women do this. I think women on a, on, it's, you know, a lot more regular for women to encounter something incredible and then blow up their lives, yeah. you know, start Make doing things. beautiful. That, I know I did that, you yeah. know. My history is, is very similar to that. I don't have Parkinson's, but I um, rear-ended an 18-wheeler while I was drunk and driving. And so there's a whole, you know. But that was when my life really started. So um, I'd like to hear, you know, a little bit about, like, your history. Like, where were you born and raised? And then we'll go into the diagnosis and what you're doing now. Okay, well, First of all, I just want to start out with uh, the marathon has not been run yet. Okay. Um, But now that I've been in the Houston Chronicle, which is the fourth largest city in the U.S., um, and this big, beautiful spread, now, darn it, I have to You (laughs) have. I know, you're somewhat committed, huh? (laughs) And then you're putting it on the podcast, too, and it's going everywhere. It's on social media. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised, I'm uh, about to be 42 at the end of the month, so um, I was born in the 70s uh, in Baytown, Texas. Um, right and, here? Yes. Wow. And um, we moved when I was about a year and a half to a small little town called Columbus, Texas, which is on the opposite side. Um, the west I actually know end. where that is. I've been there. Wow. Yeah. Did you blink? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> they say if you blink, you miss it. Uh, basically, the same people I went to elementary school with, I went to high school and graduated with. Um, and my class, my graduation class was uh, 88, I want to say. So you're basically a small town girl because even Baytown is not big city. Well, and in ways I am, and in ways I'm not. I'm I'm a pretty humble person, um, which you know would denote a small town. However, I grew up going to Hong Kong through my dad's business. Um, you know, I we would travel um, and we would spend you know summers and uh, a week 
uh, out of the year, two weeks out of the year actually, uh, in, at market in Dallas. And so I would meet people from all over the world. Are you talking it, about the furniture market? Mm-hmm. Okay. My dad uh, still does uh, on the side, but he manufactures artificial plants. Oh. And so it's an obscure field. Not many people like even think about it. Right. But it is. Um, you just get them at Target. I know. You, know? you don't even know where they come from. <laughs> well, and he he and he took a lot of pride in his work. And so you know, I would be six years old, and uh, I, in Dallas, I couldn't uh, read or really write, but I was taking orders because they were you know, in the form of a um, number letter se- sequence. And so I would just copy the tick, you know, the, the price tag. And my first order was for $10,000. Wow. So, um, you know, I would shake people's hands and, and I really had a business acumen um, behind me from a young age. Um, and, you know, but yet still going to high school with kids that, had never been on an elevator or an escalator. And I grew up, I was, um, you know, a cheerleader uh, throughout junior high and high school. I did track and cross country. I did gymnastics from 10 years old on, um, and that carried me through, you know, cheerleading. So I was athletic as a kid, but, you know, then I went to college at SMU in Dallas and um, didn't really do many athletics. Well, didn't do any athletics. Um, I remember I needed an uh, an extra class, like uh, an elective, so to speak, in college uh, in my major, which was broadcast communications, and uh, it was in the uh, Meadows School of the Arts. So I thought, oh, well, they they teach dance, so I'm gonna try ballet. This class, people were like, I studied ballet for five years at Juilliard, and <laughs> not advanced class, but the, like the midi- medium yeah, class. Yeah, it just wasn't a fit for you. And, and the professor pulled me aside, and she's like, um, as long as you come to class uh, each time, I'm gonna pass you. You're gonna get an A, but. Um, Will you do me a favor next semester, sign up for the beginner class? <laughs> um, Grace was never uh, something that I was ever good uh-huh. at. Um, so, Were you competitive? Uh, you know, I was com- very competitive, but mainly with myself. I never did anything as far as like a team sport, really. Uh-huh. I did track and field. But, um, and I Those was are usually on- individual yeah. events. Yeah. yeah, I did a relay, but... It was really, you know, I was very competitive with myself mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to always get better, you know, right. on a personal note. I did five internships in college, which <laughs> would denote that I'm a little bit competitive. Um, you know, the norm would be one, maybe two, but I utilize every possible credit in order to get five internships. And I worked for ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, and the WB. I worked in New York um, for the Fox affiliate, and I was the only intern in the entire city that got to cover JFK Jr. when he turned up missing and then, you know, Mm -hmm. passed away. And I got a stand-up in front of his Tribeca apartment. And then the following semester, I had 
a, a hidden camera purse, and I was doing hidden camera stories for the investigative unit at the NBC affiliate in wow. Dallas. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then my uh, last semester, I went and was able to uh, work at the WB and get a package on air um, all about myself, and it was right when Match.com came out um, for online dating, and I actually went on online dates. And so, um, you know, I had a, a really competitive um you know spirit behind me always but again this was i was competing against myself right, right. just mm-hmm. pushing myself to to new levels and so i ended up taking the um, first job that finally came along and that took me to kansas and when i originally heard um the the general manager you know, offer me the job. He's like, it's in Oberlin. Well, I thought he was saying Overland, and I'm thinking Overland Park. I had a friend who lived in Overland Park in college, and that's right outside of Kansas City. That that'll be no problem at all. I can do this. I thought that's what you were saying. Too. Yeah, no, it's Oberlin with a B, uh-huh. and it's in the other side of Kansas, the western half, where cows outnumber people five to one, and it does not smell like <laughs> money, wow. no matter how much they convince you. <laughs> Or oh attempt God. to convince Cows you. outnumber people. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard a town described that way. Yeah. Yes. So I covered things like triplet calves and uh, grasshopper infestations, which was a real story. Mm-hmm. So you've got this start in journalism. What do you do now? So now I work for Baylor College of Medicine's Cancer oh, okay. Center. It is the Dan L. Duncan Comprehensive Cancer Center. And we are the number two cancer center in the state of Texas. Um, everyone knows the other, right, the giant, yes, we're uh-huh. across the street. Uh-huh. So we treat um, about half of the um, city of Houston's cancer uh, patients that go to the Texas Medical Center for treatment. Okay, wow. I'm in communications. I'm the communications director okay. for the cancer center. I could have guessed that part. <laughs> <laughs> Something in communications or PR. You said um, when you first arrived that you were diagnosed, was it five years ago? Is so. It- so I gave birth to my daughter, and it was either the two weeks prior or the two weeks after my giving birth that um, I filled up a coffee pot with water. And um, as I was filling that up, I was holding it with my left hand, and my left hand began to tremor and, or shake at that, as I knew it at that time. And then I didn't think anything of it until it happened again the following um, about two weeks later. And the only way to get it to stop was by grabbing my uh, left hand with my right hand. And so that went on and persisted for about four and a half years. And how long does it last? Is it, I mean, if you didn't stop it. So at that point, when I first noticed it, it stopped as soon as I grabbed a hold of my hand. And, um, and, and took, you know, put the coffee pot down. Um, and it was very uh, controllable in the sense that it would come and go and I could hide it mm-hmm. um, for about four and a half to five years. And it was only your hand that you would yes. find that would mm-hmm. shake. Okay. And um, the difference was um, I was diagnosed, it'll be five years New Year's Eve, because August 1st of 2014, I separated from my husband. 
And two and a half months later, um, within that two and a half months, I uh, moved into my dad's home with my daughter. Um, I sold my home in uh, the Austin area. I, you know, had, at that time I was freelancing for the most part and helping my dad <clears throat> with his business remotely. Um, so I began working with my dad um, so I was with my dad, you know, nonstop, which I've been a daddy's girl all my life, but, you know, too much time with one person, any one person, and, you know, <laughs> it kind of, yeah. you yes, get on each other's you nerves. You do, yeah. yeah. Um, but I became, became solely dependent on my dad, you know, and here I was, a 36, almost 37-year-old mom, single mom now, um, and my whole life just got turned upside down. And because of that, you know, stress takes a toll. So I began losing weight. And I went from 123 pounds at five foot seven to 100 pounds. Wow. And um, so I don't have to tell you that I look like death. Right. And then my symptoms got pushed forward. On October 17th of 2014, I was then di- uh, divorced. Um, so in two and a half months, I went from having a family, having, you know, a marriage, having a home, having all of these quote unquote, you know, things that we think we should have. Kind Mm -hmm. of normal things that you aspire to, right? And um, it just exploded um, in in my life. And so um, got a divorce and uh, then by that point my symptoms were so noticeable and pushed so far forward that I began dragging my left foot. I began, uh, my tremor was now no longer could I hide it. It was constant. It looked like a fish out of water. I had no ability to use my left arm. I couldn't type. I couldn't, in order to move my left left arm, I had to pick it up with my right. Like I had no use of my left arm. And luckily, I'm right-hand dominant because um, I would not have been able to drive. I I began slurring. I couldn't say my name, and I've been in communications my entire life. So t- speaking, like, is my only true talent um, is talking. You know, I could talk for hours, mm-hmm. um, which means you're going to have to shut me up at some point. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, to say my name, Allison, was Allison, and that was horrifying for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I began choking. I began choking on water, on um, food, on air. And that was very scary. So my family... How did you feel at that time? Um, so... I was very depressed. One of the symptoms of PD is um, depression. And they're like, are you depressed? And I'm like, well, let's see here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, my life has just exploded. And like, I've got what do you health think? issues <laughs> yeah. at that time. You know, I didn't know what they were. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I think I am depressed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so... What do you do when you're depressed? Well, this girl cries. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very emotional anyway. And I began crying all the time. And I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And so 
my little precious angel, um, at four and a half, I hear her telling people, and people are coming up to me telling me the same thing, that she's telling people, mommy always cries. She, she always cries. Mm. And I'm, this is all setting in as to how I'm mothering mm -hmm. and the example that I'm showing her. And so I was, you know, that was my rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And so when I was told on New Year's Eve, it's because insurance ran out and I had a $5,000 deductible that I had already met mm -hmm. and needed to go ahead and get the diagnosis and get the test so that I didn't start over another So were you procrastinating about this visit? Did you know like you needed to go and figure out what this was? And you procrastinated, or did you just like decide? I had procrastinated for the four and a half years mm -hmm. of her life and of, um, you know, during my marriage because I was scared. I knew it would cost a lot of money, and, and I didn't know if I really wanted to know. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but you did know that point, down, deep down that there was something. Um, no, in my mind, it was not anything neurological. I had no idea that it was anything neurological. I thought I was in an accident in 2008 before she was even thought of. And it was two days before Christmas. We were in Houston, Texas County, Missouri. When we hit a patch of ice and then hit a um, rock bluff, um, and, and it was on my side was the, where the collision was, I hit my head on the dash. I broke my face, meaning I had an orbital socket, my entire orbital socket was fractured. They called it a blowout fracture. Um, I had a concussion, I had a laceration above my um, left eye. So because this was all on my left side, I thought it trickled down and um, that it was whiplash that went undiagnosed because I had pain in my uh, left trap and neck, left side of my neck. And so I thought it was the uh, nerves being compressed by the muscles and that the nerves were causing the tremor. And it was a really great theory, I so much so that I had my general practitioner uh, convinced, convinced of it. Were you going to so, like, was the solution surgery? Is that what you were afraid of? No, I didn't know. Uh, I really didn't know what it was. And... Um, I didn't know that Parkinson's or MS were neurologically related. I mean, I was very ignorant of all of that kind of thing, and um, I, I didn't press, you know. I, I was good then, and I'm good now about compartmentalizing things and um, kind of like hear no evil, see no evil kind of yeah. thing. So if I don't look, I don't have to know about it. Exactly, right. yeah. it doesn't exist. And mm -hmm. so I went in uh, after my family uh, didn't give me an option. They were like, you're gonna get this checked out. So I went to my general practitioner and uh, he took an x-ray, started with an x-ray so the insurance could cover it um, and then uh, sent me to an MRI. And the MRI was of my neck. So then he, he suggests that I go see a neurologist and uh, because of the nerves. So I went to the neurologist armed with my MRI of my neck and he's like, I don't need an MRI of your neck, I need an MRI of your brain. 
And I was like, huh? So then it became kind of a worry. But he said uh, at that first visit, I don't think you have Parkinson's. He said, you, you have a very interesting case. I don't know what this is. And he was motioning to my neck and my trap, um, which later I've discovered is called dystonia. And dystonia can be a disease on its own or it can be a symptom. Mm -hmm. And in my case, it was a symptom. And it is um, like a spasming. So you go to the doctor, and then I guess it takes a while to actually get the diagnosis, not well, on the, the, the first, 31st. Correct. The first time um, he looked at me was in mid-November of 14, and he's like, I think I can fix you. And so I was like, well, awesome. Mm -hmm. And I even remember being so smug and um, seeing, you know, walking by and seeing Michael J. Fox on the TV um, in a commercial, and I was like, huh. At least I don't have what that guy has. And I didn't even say it out loud. I just thought it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but boy, I get hum I get a humble lesson every time. <laughs> it's like I never can have any sort of a, a fleeting thought um, without, you know, getting smacked down. So um, December 3rd was my next appointment. And uh, that day is very... Um, you know, just very grand in my memory. Like, I will never forget that day because my dad left at 3 o'clock in the morning to go to Hong Kong for 10 days with his um, girlfriend. And I was like, you know, he told me he can fix me, so I'm golden. I had gone with a family friend uh, the time before, and I was like, I, I got this. So I had her watch my daughter, and I went into the neurologist, and he took one look at me, and he said, I think you have Parkinson's. And I was like, wait, wait, what? Backtrack. You had told me last time you could fix me. And again, my, you know, every day, my symptoms got worse. Um, so at that point, he, my rigidity, everything was pushed so far forward that I was an easy case to diagnose. And so he said, I'm not gonna diagnose you today. He said, um, I, I still wanna do a test and it's called a DAT scan. But when you're talking about a woman who's not quite 40 yet um, and you know she's exhibiting all these symptoms, women, first of all, make up you know very few of the majority of people with Parkinson's but then a young woman is even fewer. So I had a one to 2% chance of getting Parkinson's. I, it doesn't run in my family on either side. Mm -hmm. And so it was just such an anomaly that he wanted to have further testing. So a DAT scan is where my $5,000 deductible really was met. Um, it was a very expensive test. And so the soonest that I could have it done after the third, was on December 30th. So the 31st um, was then the next day, and uh, that was when I got my diagnosis. He walked in and he held my hand and sat next to me and said, yes, I do believe you have Parkinson's. And so, you know, I went home and I cried. and I put my daughter to bed at about 8 p.m. Put myself to bed and 
I rang in the new year asleep. And the next day, I had a new day. I had a new year. I had a plan, a diagnosis, a name for what all I was uh, physically feeling. And I rose with that sun. And I put my feet firmly on the ground and I said, this is not how my story is gonna end. And I decided today's, today's the day that I seize. And so the very next day, after telling several people, you know, New Year's Eve, close friends and family, my brother and my cousin within 12 hours of each other called me up on uh, January 2nd from them. And they both told me the same thing. Write the stuff down. My brother said you could write a book. My cousin said you could write a book. Better yet, start a blog. So I had bought a website called litwithin.net. It was, I was making homemade skincare. This was the summer before the divorce and all of that. So I was making homemade skincare in my um, kitchen. And so I had um, this name, Lit Within, because lit from within was taken, but that's what women want to feel. We want to be lit from within. Mm -hmm. So litwithin.net was available. So I purchased that URL, but I did not do anything with it. So because I already had the URL, I decided, okay, well, this is going to be my blog. And um, I didn't know how to make a blog, but... Um, I, and what year was this? This was uh, January 2nd of 2015 15, now. okay. And uh, actually it was on the 4th. So four days after my diagnosis, I started the blog. And uh, I just Googled enough to figure it out. And um, I began writing feverishly. And I would publish them, but I didn't at all tell anyone um, or promote it because... Really, I was trying to, I was using it more as an online diary and trying to figure out and, and also I wanted to catch the audience up and like bring them to present day so that I didn't leave anybody hanging as to what was going on. And my first blog post was about the color blue and how I love colors. And in particular, I love the color blue and I have this feeling like a, an actual uh, emotional reaction to colors and how brown just makes me think of poop and uh, <laughs> you know just like colors in in life and how they they bring such life and the last um, sentence of that blog was oh and by the way I have Parkinson's and so it was a very obscure way to come out with this disease so I, I was writing and writing and I wrote about six or seven blogs, um, blog posts. And my niece, who was 18, um, she was just trying to do her aunt a solid and she posted it on Facebook and said, you have to read my aunt's um, blog. She's amazing, she's so strong. And I was like, ah! not ready yet. I haven't mm -hmm. even told my ex-husband. Too late now. <laughs> Everybody knows. With that first post on social media, um, 
I ended up with like 300 followers and I'm like, oh my gosh. And they're loving it and they want to know more. Mm -hmm. And so my blog really took off very quickly. And within the first four months of it, um, I began to get offered opportunities. Um, I was asked by a foundation, a Parkinson's foundation, to um, do a blog post for them. And, um, you know, it just kind of took off from there. And so um, I went in February to uh, a neurologist because I had questions like, what is my life expectancy? What is my life expectancy with my child? Like, um, am I going to be able to... What can I do? What can I do? What's my physicality going to do? Exactly. Will I be able to have a baby? Uh Can I be medicated? Like, what are my options here? And so he sent me to what he called the best. And that happens to be right here in the medical center, Baylor College of Medicine's Dr. Joseph Jankovic. He is a movement disorder specialist and arguably the best in the entire world. Mm. Uh, he is. He has written over a thousand papers on Parkinson's and has been, you know, at the forefront. He brought Botox to market um, as far as using it, you know, uh, for in, relief, yeah. For relief and pain and muscles. So, um, very well known and world renowned. And he took one look at me and he said, Yes, I do think you have Parkinson's. Um, exercise is the only thing proven to slow the progression, so you need to start moving. And when he said that, it, a trigger went off in me, and I thought, This is one thing that I can actually control. Mm-hmm. I can do, and it can help me, mm-hmm. and it doesn't, you know, require medicine. But at that point, I was willing to take medicine. Right, yeah. So he prescribed <clears throat> me some medicine, and within the first um, 48 hours, I was able to type again for the first time in a long time, in, in probably about three years. And so to have that dexterity back mm-hmm. was earth-shattering to me because I was only single-hand typing at that point and um, so I was able to actually type my blogs in a reasonable um, time frame and then I began going to the the uh, well I went to the gym and when I say you know that was the best seven minutes of my life that was the best seven minutes of my life and people are like what seven minutes and it's like yeah but you have to remember I'm a hundred pounds at this point seven minutes was the longest seven minutes of my life because I had no energy I had you know yes I was getting my movement back but you know I was nothing you had a way to a ways to go absolutely so I decided to not get a membership at that gym (laughs) and instead go to my old high school track and um, I started to put a little bit of weight on, and uh, I would go to the track and uh, do bleachers because I have a thing, um, it's a terrible affliction called no ascitis. And um, it's where you do not have a butt. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm constantly trying to build the butt. Um, it is a struggle, struggle within, but. Um, 
I, I started doing the bleachers and I just would go very slow and um, I so have, what you mean just for the audience is you're like climbing the bleachers like um, running up them stepping not running <coughs> no, just walking no, just walking okay and um, did you walk the steps or did you walk where people sit so you're taking like bigger steps walk the steps but they were still pretty big mm-hmm. yeah and so um, I, I walked the steps but I held on to the railing because one of the things with Parkinson's is balance balance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I would do that and, uh, I just slowly started building. And by the end of the summer, I entered a alumni track meet and, uh, I was asked by the, it was a fundraiser for the, uh, junior Olympics. And so I entered and, uh, the 400, I came in first. And I was 10 seconds slower than my fastest time in high school. Mm. And I ran against men, women, and children. So um, I thought, that's pretty cool. They gave me a trophy. And, um, you know, it, it was just, it was like, this is awesome. Affirming. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and then. Did you prepare? Did you train for that? Had you been, like, yes. doing things other? Okay, so, so you trained for it, and you ran the bleachers, and. Trained so at the I track and building up right. every time that I went. And uh-huh. I found the more the more I went, the better I felt, the less medication I needed, the better my symptoms were. So it was it all was just yeah. All it was a wash, yeah. Yeah. And um so Were you training yourself? Did you have help? No, I was just training myself. Okay. And so and they had taken notice to that, which is why they invited me to the mm-hmm. the uh, track meet. So from there, I went floating the river. I met up with a couple, and he was like, you look fit. Um, we're doing, I'm doing a mud run with some of my friends. And in fact, one of them is single, and he's six foot four, an Adonis. And I'm like, okay, sign, sign me, me up. up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's a doctor. And I'm like, even better. Done. Where do I sign? And so I look into it, and it's a hundred bucks. And I'm a single mom. I'm working for my dad. You know, I'm not making very much money. I'm thinking a hundred dollars to torture myself. Oh my gosh, what am I thinking? But there's an Adonis at the end of that road. Mm-hmm. So I signed up, and I began training, and I ended up getting a membership to the gym, and I started lifting weights. And I thought, the more I looked into it, I was like, there's a lot of upper body intensive stuff so I was like I probably need to do a pull-up because you're gonna have to pull yourself up to do this stuff so I went to the gym and I tried a pull-up for the very first time ever in my life and I did five in a row wow and I thought that was kind of easy Jesus, I can't. I I've never I can't. been able to do one me neither I had never. never this is something women can't do I mean it's like you know well and I had always thought that as well Um, but what happened when I was diagnosed is something clicked inside of me and if I want to try something, I just do it. Mm -hmm. And instead of talking myself out of it, instead of telling myself all the reasons I can't, I just try. Mm -hmm. And what goes on in your head? Um, around that are you like 
Well, tomorrow is not promised for anyone. And, you know, that's something that really becomes apparent whenever you're diagnosed with anything like this. Um, Why live in regrets? Why live in fear? But this is different, you, than pre-diagnosis, right? True, but I've always had that sense of fearlessness, Mm -hmm. you know? Back when I was little. and, and But it's just more enhanced now. Because oh, you're no. wiser, more mature. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm not impervious to pain. Like, I'm not going to do something that truly, I'm like, well, this is just a right. death wish, you know. <laughs> um, but I also don't see my age. Like... I, I look at things like this mud run, and I never thought of myself as doing it as a 37, 38-year-old woman. I just thought of it as being just kind of stupid anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for anybody. But I never thought of having, like, limitations. It just doesn't cross my mind. And... So um, I started training for that, and I would go to my daughter's elementary school and uh, train at her elementary school um, on the playground. And uh, a lot of those jungle gym looked like a lot of the obstacles mm-hmm. that I would be training on or, or um, competing, competing on. Yeah. on. And so I had a friend take some video and I posted those online and I got huge reactions. Mm. And then I started having angels talk to me in the form of people. And I had a few people message me and tell me, you look like an American Ninja Warrior. And I thought, what the heck is that? (laughs) So I Googled it, as we all do. And uh, a video of Casey Catanzaro, came up on online and I watched her compete and she uh, ended up going through the entire uh, city uh, finals course and she became the first woman to make it through the entire course and I watched her and I thought you know what I can do that again no fear no that looks hard, like pure ignorance. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I need to finish the mud run first and then, you know, consider that. So I did the mud run and, um, I'm cold intolerant. So, uh, I was really nervous. It was the beginning of November. I was really nervous about the temperature. And, um, in the meantime, about two weeks prior to the mud run, I've, I've got kidney stones and sure enough, I passed five kidney stones in the two weeks leading up to the race. The last one was on Wednesday and I competed on Saturday and so passed five kidney stones. I ended up having tendonitis before I even started the race in both my hips and, um, I have Parkinson's (laughs) and As I'm looking at the weather, checking it every day, it goes from 50% chance of rain to 60% chance of rain to 70% chance of rain. By Friday night, it is 100% chance of rain on Saturday and 50 degree temperature. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, 
everything in my body said, do not do this. But in my mind, I thought there's an Adonis that's going to be there. So I have to be there. And I paid a hundred bucks. So I show up and I run the race. And the whole time, all I'm thinking is slow and steady, slow and steady, slow and steady wins the race. And I'm doing, you know, obstacle after obstacle, and I'm passing one fat guy after. I wanted to finish, finish. Okay. and meet the Adonis. <laughs> like, I was in it for the Adonis. He said Adonis, um, and I thought, You, you I'm took there. that, yes. Okay. Six foot four. <laughs> Beautiful, you know, like the everything the muscles and the whole nine yards and he is a doctor so um i'm thinking i'm winning by you know meeting this man so i go there and i'm running and i never find the friend i never meet the adonis and i finish i got through and i finished in the top 13 percent overall against 1800 people mainly men and i was fourth in my age division and I thought I was, this is awesome, but I will never do this again. This was stupid. And But then you go on to do the ninja. So then Which I, is not entirely brilliant. Right. <laughs> so then I get a Groupon for um, a Ninja Warrior gym, and I'm like, okay, someone's trying to tell me something. Okay, God. So um, I get the Groupon, and I do Ninja, and uh, go to the Ninja Gym, Iron Sports, which is here in Houston, mm -hmm. and uh, lo and behold, that's the one place at that time where all the famous ninjas were born. Mm. And The so, one here in Houston. The one here in Houston. I've been there. Have you been there? Mm-mm. It's nice. It's hard. Well, everything has a trick. Yes. And everything can be adapted because kids go there. So yeah. it can be, it can, we took you know, kids. kids can go there, but adults can play. And, um, you know, it's just, it's this magical place. And I thought this whole time, I thought I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I get there and I look at these scrawny kids and I'm like, they look like they should be in their basement, like playing World of Warcraft. And... I'm thinking, I've, I've got this. And then they start, like, scaling walls and, you know, hanging by one arm, you know, from the rafters. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking, oh, crap, what have I gotten myself into? And I'd already put my video and my submission in. Oh, my God. And I have four <laughs> months to train. So I go the first time, and I'm shaking profusely because, you know, like, I have Parkinson's, and I'm just done this <laughs> so um I was sore for a month and I didn't go back for a month so now I have three months to train if I already get the call so I start going back and the second time I can do a little bit more um and the third time it was just everything clicked and I got on this um these rings which you swing like a monkey from and I hadn't had the ability to trust my left arm because that's my Parkinson's arm. And, you know, I just, I didn't have it. I didn't think I had it. And I had somebody film me um, just so that I could kind of see what I was doing wrong and improve. And I just went for it. And I decided to trust my left arm. 
and I flew and it, I got done and I screamed and someone comes rushing to my aid thinking that I'm hurt and I'm like, no, you don't understand, I have Parkinson's, I just did that. And I was so elated and it became like an addiction, mm-hmm. this addiction to um, the dopamine rush. And stretch yourself, that, yeah, that I, got. I could see and that. This amazing feat. And so I did like four or five different obstacles with ease and and uh, I remember I had a a rope burn not a rope burn but a rope bruise that stretched from the inside of my thigh down to uh, my knee you know my hip to my knee and um, I had this on both sides and it was just I loved it and then in April of 2016 I got the call from producers that I was one of about 500 people selected to compete. And I became one of about 50 stories that year that they told on American Ninja Warrior. And 75,000 people had applied. I'm like duly inspired. Who inspires you? The woman that I work with, her name is Allison as well. She can't have children um, on her own. She has permanent hair loss. And then on top of that, um, she has a permanent ostomy bag. It's one of those things where I never see her without a smile. This woman is so happy and full of life. And so it's people like that, you know, I, when I was going through this and in the middle of the, the, the yuck, you know, when you're low to the ground and you feel like nothing can be worse. Um, I was reminded of the, at the dinner table, my brother and my dad's girlfriend, both very quickly when I said, oh, well, it's not like anything could get worse. They were very quick to remind me, oh no, be careful for what you wish for and what you say because things can always get worse. Just because things happen to your life doesn't mean you should be stuck in the yuck. You know, you have to move past that and grow from it and learn from it. And that, that's truly, you know, where I am. I guess my biggest pet peeve is those individuals that haven't felt true strife in their life, have never had anything really go wrong, and yet they're the victim. Yeah. And that really, when I say it's my pet peeve, I cannot stand to be around those type of people. Because if you're a victim now, what happens when something really bad happens? <laughs> um, you know, well, that's just awesome. Though. I know. You're very inspiring. And Thank you. That so touched my heart. Thank you for sharing. No matter what happens on, it's usually, when is it? January 20th? Something around there? Oh, when the marathon. Um, I think it's the 18th. Okay. I probably need Somewhere to around there. It's like the third Sunday <laughs> in January. Yes. So it's either... <clears throat> Out there downtown or on the TV, I'll be cheering you on. Yeah, me too. Well, and, you know, I I'm, I'm certainly want to make this fun. Um, this is my one and only marathon. I keep saying that. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> believes me, but I have no desire to run 26.2 miles more than once. And I certainly am not running a 50 or 100K or miler, those ultras. No, that's just dumb. Um, I'm doing this... Uh, to benefit HAPS, which is Houston Area Parkinson's Society, 
they were um, so gracious and sneaky to choose me as the chair for the marathon um, without making me join the marathon. And I thought, yeah, right. You're telling this to somebody who's pulled a mm-hmm. Jeep and a trailer filled with equipment a hundred you know, feet. You're not going to tell me, oh, we want you to be, you know, the chair and not actually run it. So they, they twisted my arm. And so where can, uh, where can people uh, find your blog? So uh, you can still go to litwithin.net, but you can also go to litwithin.com as well. So litwithin.com is um, my blog and um, I, you know, I do public speaking and, um, you know, I'm, I'm wherever anyone really wants me to be, um, mm. but they can contact me through litwithin.com and I would be more than happy to talk to them. And uh, my theme is shaken but not just deterred. So um, I will finish that uh, finish line, whether it's by a wheelbarrow or um, <laughs> dragging, crawling, I will finish one way or another. I have no doubt. Yeah, me too. I'd love to hear more. Me but too. But you've got a hungry baby that you need to take care of. <laughs> and, um, you know, we do try to keep this under an hour. But I so appreciate you yes. sharing you your so very much. vulnerable, intimate story. Thank you. It's incredibly inspiring. Very much. Thank so. you. All yeah. right. So if you want to get in touch with Allison, you can find her on litwithin.net, litwithin.com, and all of the other Facebook and social media sites. Yes. Okay. Until next time, if you guys have any questions, please email us at Report at gmail.com. And we have a Facebook and Instagram at The Meadow Report. It's always helpful to like and share and subscribe. Uh, and leave us a review.